Hey, Cornwall Church, it's so good to be with you this weekend via Church Online. You're joining us in week three of our series called Still Waters, where we are walking through, unpacking verse by verse, one of the most well-known, most memorized passages in Scripture, the 23rd Psalm. It began two weeks ago with verse one, Pastor Bob walking us through, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then last weekend, Pastor Kip talking us through verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And this weekend, we pick up in verse three, which provides us the why to last weekend's where. Now remember who's writing to us, the author David, now king, who was a shepherd. And it's with that background that his references are very intentional. Take a look at last week's verse. It's the where, the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and beside still waters Sure, those are important for sheep, but critical for our refreshment as well. It's, that's the why. Where is that? Why is that? It's because there he restores my soul. It's there that he restores my soul. Now, notice David's word choice here. He restores our soul. The word restore or restoration simply means to bring back to a former or original state, to repair, to renovate, to reinstate. And so the promise here is that our shepherd will restore our soul. He'll repair when necessary, renovate as needed. He'll bring back our soul to its original state. Restoration takes time and intentionality. It was just about a year ago that I was at my office at Cornwall Skagit in Mount Vernon. It was mid-morning and suddenly my Facebook newsfeed began blowing up with posts about Notre Dame in Paris. One of the most visited landmarks in the world. It took nearly 200 years to complete beginning back in 1163. And soon I found myself watching a live news feed as they detailed the structure fire that would eventually destroy the cathedral spire and two thirds of its roof. The night of the fire, they committed to a restoration, which they say at the quickest will be 20 years, but more like 40 years. That's a generation of time. Restoration takes time and it takes someone willing to do the restoration. So take that idea back to verses two and three. God, as he shepherds us, doesn't lead us to green pastures and by still waters because there's nowhere else to go. These are purposeful destinations because they're specifically away. They are apart from. They're away from deadlines and meetings and to-do lists. They're apart from people and that sinkhole of social media. You see, God was all over social distancing before there was, well, social distancing. And God knows that despite our best intentions, we are easily distracted. And so in order to gain our full attention, he leads us away, apart from, in order to have time with him. Time for what? For restoration. He restores my soul. And what God knew and what David would come to realize was that soul restoration is necessary maintenance. Soul re restoration is necessary maintenance. It's necessary. In other words, not optional. 
Unlike when I take one of our vehicles to the shop, it's always the same. They, they check out the vehicle and then we stand across the counter and they give me the rundown of problems. Brian, seems to be your carburetors, ignitions, gauge, sensor, distributor cap, spring is sprung and your stabilizers, axle, differential, manifold cap seems to be leaking or something like that. And then I do this for about three seconds and then I finally say, okay, level with me what's necessary and what's optional. I know all the car enthusiasts right, watching right now are screaming at their screens because the answer is it's all necessary, right? If you want your car to last, you do the necessary maintenance. The same is true for taking care of our souls. It's easy to overlook this because our soul is not tangible. It's not visible, but it is certainly obvious when our soul needs servicing. Fatigue, irritability, hypersensitivity, burnout, disconnection, possibly even depression, all signs that our soul needs restoration. When we lived in Oregon, I was the youth pastor at our church, and one summer I had a great idea. Let's take all the middle schoolers on a hike, specifically on a hike at Smith Rock State Park, specifically to a viewpoint to view a rock formation called Monkey Face. Now, as we arrived at the trailhead, one of our adult youth leaders was giving out some trail etiquette, the other handing out water bottles to everyone. And then, just like that, we're on our way for a great day of hiking. It was about that time that I saw a sign that should have tipped me off that trouble was ahead. If you can't read the sign, it says Misery Ridge Trail. Yes, Misery Ridge. I would learn later this was a nearly six-mile hike rated highly difficult. It wasn't long before my pace began to slow as the trail began some brutal switchbacks. I was dying. I was not at the epitome of physical fitness that I am today. That was actually not a joke, so stop laughing at home. The truth is, I was exhausted, I was overheating, and with every step, all I could do was picture myself atop the 3,000-foot summit and chugging my water bottle in sweet victory. Well, fast forward, I made it. Life flight was not needed that day, and that water did taste like heaven in a bottle. And later, one of my youth leaders would pull me aside, and he said, Brian, for the next time, here's a tip. You saved all your water until you were depleted and it left you struggling. Next time, drink a little more often and you'll never go thirsty. He intended that for my physicality, but it's true of our spiritual soul state as well. We are notorious for waiting until we're so depraved before we reach out to God for help, or in this case, to take a drink. As Christ followers, we have to take seriously the maintenance of our soul. And here's the incredible news. God's willing to restore our soul anytime. In fact, it's for this reason and for our benefit that God would inspire David to record this critical formula. Number one, get away. Whether it's by a hillside or by still water or at, at Whatcom Falls Park or Boulevard Park, wherever it is, get away away. Then two, God will meet you there. And it's there that number three, God offers to restore your soul and to refresh your spirit. Last weekend, Pastor Kip referenced this offer as recorded in Matthew 11. Come to me, 
all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson, in his interpretation, the message would write it this way. He'd say, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And I will show you how to take a real rest. Do you hear it? The promise to restore and refresh your soul. It looks like this. Come to me. That's the invitation. You who are weary, that's the condition. Possibly that's where you are today. And I will give. That's the offer from the shepherd. Rest for your soul. Satisfying the need. I mean, let's make this really applicable and practical. Suppose Jesus were standing here today. I wonder if he might say, if you will come to me, if you will put down your iPhone, if you'll turn off the TV, if you'll make time for me, then I'm right here. I'll meet you here and I'll provide you the rest and restoration and refreshment that you so badly need. And there's nothing compared to godly refreshment for our soul. And no one knows how to care for our soul better than God. Because God knows us intimately because he is our creator. He knows our build. He knows our thinking. He knows our joys. He knows our fears, our hopes, our emotional aches, our physical pains. And because God knows us intimately, he also knows And let me offer, he's the only one that really knows the most inner core of who we are. God is the number one expert on our soul and its condition. The Blues Brothers might say he's a soul man. That would have killed if people were in the room. Anyway, let's pop back to the Bible. Genesis 2 tells us this. Pastor Bob, that was for you. Genesis 2. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Pause. We know that. That God is the creator of all of who who and what we are. But catch this. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. He became a living soul. God's the originator of life. The originator of human life. And he alone is the one who gave us life in the human soul. A pedicure, a spa day that can only go so far to rejuvenate us because it's more than just rest and relaxation. Our soul needs restoration. You know, we can provide ourselves rest, but only God can restore our soul. So then it would be true to say that God is the most qualified, best equipped for restoring and refreshing the soul. So let's get really practical. How do we allow God to restore our soul? First, it's critical to check your gauges. Check your gauges. Watch for signs. Back in 1998, Seinfeld aired one of the most iconic episodes called The Dealership. In part, Kramer is helping Jerry to purchase a new car, and so he offers to take that car out test driving. And he's driving around and the gas light comes on and despite heeding, not heeding the advice of the car salesman in the passenger seat, Kramer keeps on driving 
and driving and driving, even passing the exit back to the dealership. The episode ends before we know just how far he makes it down the highway before running out of gas. You see, the truth is we have indicators all around us. Your printer indicates you are low on ink. Your dog indicates I need to go outside. Your smoke alarm indicates there's a fire in the house. Your high blood pressure indicates you need to cut out salt. Your kids at this point indicate this stay-at-home order is too much. But before God can pull you aside to the still waters and the green pastures to restore and refill your soul, guys, it's on you. It's on you to check your gauges and to watch for indicators and to know the signs. So ask yourself, is your check soul light flashing? Is your soul trying to tell you something? Might you become increasingly aware of when your tank is low and then know in your heart, in your mind, in all that you are, that God's at the ready to fill your soul over and over and over again. So check your gauges, know the signs. Then two, intentionally create Sabbath moments. I love what Pastor Kip said last weekend. I hope you wrote this down. To hear the whisper of God, you must turn down the volume of this world. It shouldn't be a surprise that when we purposefully carve out time for God, he shows up like every single time. Now, note that I'm not speaking to the noun capital S Sabbath here. The Sabbath where you set a day apart, keep it holy. That's the Genesis 2 Sabbath. God blesses the seventh day. He declares it holy. After working for six days, he rests. Oh, observing a Sabbath is a whole other sermon. I'm speaking to the verb little s Sabbath here. The action word that calls us to pause and rest, even if just for a moment. A couple of weekends ago, Shauna and I tackled a long overdue project. The stay-at-home order has allowed us to do a lot of things, much like you, I'm sure. One of them being going through several boxes labeled stuff that had accumulated in our garage. And most of it, yeah, it got tossed in the garbage. I did keep a couple of things. And one of them was finding this card from my late Grandma Lois. And it reads in part this, I'll I'll save you all the gushy stuff, but it says, Brian, you are on your way. I'm so proud of you, my grandson. The Lord will surely bless you and Shauna and Alyssa. Sorry, Dylan, you weren't born yet. But please do me this favor. Please slow down. There's no need to hurry so fast. This grandma worries about you. This was not the only time that Grandma Lois would remind me of this. In fact, every time we were together, she'd express that same concern, that I had one speed, fast. She'd always say, Brian, Brian, just slow down. Might we heed the warning of Grandma Lois and of our great good shepherd just to slow down? There's real benefit with intentionally taking Sabbath moments Number one, most practically, you don't have to wait for your capital S Sabbath day. And two, God's ready. For whatever time you have to give to him, he will take it. He'll refill and refuel you as much as you'll let him. 
moments of Sabbath are critical when it comes to refueling your soul. So make time. Pause for them. Find them throughout your day. Perhaps it's in the early morning before your family is awake. Perhaps it's on your morning commute to work or in the middle of a frenzied, fast-paced day in the middle of 10 Zoom calls or on a quick walk around your neighborhood or maybe it's when you pull in the driveway and you leave all your work day in your car before you re-engage with your family inside. Find the moments in high stress, deep conflict, lack of clarity, or perhaps deep loss. In John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he makes the observation that every day, every single day of Jesus' ministry was jam-packed from sunup to sundown and sometimes into the late hours of the night. And yet, while Jesus had an incredibly busy schedule, he did not live a busy life. Let me say that again. He had a very busy schedule, but he didn't live a busy life. Why? How? He had rhythms in place. One of his priorities was slowing down and pausing and intentionally connecting with his father. Daily soul care. Our pace is not God's pace. Our timing is not his timing. We have capacity and he does not. So the invitation that we find in these verses in Psalm 23 is a perpetual welcome. Come, be refreshed now and forever. Fight for those moments and restore your soul as often as you can. Third, once your soul's been restored, lighten the burden for others. Now, it should be understood that it's not we who do the restoration. It's not in our calling, and frankly, it's not in our ability. But once we have been refreshed and rejuvenated and refueled and refueled, God can use us to lighten the load of others. Why? So that they too can have a spiritual restoration. Dr. Benjamin Shaw will say this, he says, may we be pleased to have our good shepherd restore our souls so that we may be used by him in the restoring of the souls of others. Consider that beautiful progression. God restores us so that we can help restore others. In fact, you did that this last week with the Hope Drive. Hundreds of cards collected. It was a one-week initiative where we invited you, Cornwall Church, Bellingham, and Skagit, to write cards and write notes of encouragement to draw pictures for those that continue to work on the front lines in Whatcom and Skagit counties. And wow, did you show up in major ways. At our Bellingham campus, you dropped off 253 cards and notes and 186 gift cards to encourage those at Lighthouse Mission and the staff at Engedi Refuge. Our Skagit campus, you dropped off 322 cards and 178 gift cards for the firefighters in Skagit County and the doctors and nurses at Skagit Valley Hospital. I'll do the quick math for you. In total, that's 575 encouraging notes and letters, 364 gift cards, each card, each letter sharing hope and bringing encouragement. And while you may never meet the person that opened your card, 
I firmly believe that God will use your words to provide a momentary refreshment to the soul of the person that needed it right then, that volunteer, that nurse, that firefighter. In fact, I, I know this to be true. We've heard from these organizations. Lighthouse Mission said this, got the words of encouragement and gift cards for the staff, incredible. It's exactly what this dedicated, laying it on the line staff needed. I can't thank you enough for taking care of our people. Cornwall Bellingham, that's for you. And in Skagit, here's what was posted on one of the nurses' Facebook pages. Kim Merz says, I'm so grateful for the card I got. Juanita, who attends in Skagit, reminded me I can do hard things. And there was a coffee gift card too. Feeling more tired than usual, but completely blessed. Incredible. We can be rejuvenation helping for others. As we are restored, we help restore others. Stole restoration is necessary. So might we take full advantage of being refreshed by none other than the good shepherd besides still waters or in green pastures or wherever because it is a beautiful open-ended promise that God restores our soul. Now, wow, I feel like Pastor Bob because that's just the first half. David continues in the second half of verse three. He says this. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, here it is again, the good shepherd leading us again. He led us by still waters. He led us into green pastures. And now he leads us into paths of righteousness. You know, growing up on the farm is something I know nothing about. But maybe you did. And if you did grow up on the farm, well, then you probably know there's a great distinct difference in the personality between a sheep and a goat. Goats do what they want, and sheep are instinctive followers. Goats can be obstinate, and sheep, for the most part, are, well, aloof. And unlike their farm mates, sheep have a great reliance on the shepherd to feed them and to protect them, and ultimately to lead them because sheep know the shepherd knows best. Sheep know that instinctively, that the shepherd knows best which we as Christ followers, we know that up here. But sometimes we struggle with that maybe here. Perhaps this has happened to you. You pull out your smartphone, you type in an address to somewhere you want to go. You hit go and Siri begins spouting out directions. Uh, turn left in 500 feet, turn right. But how often, be honest, have you found yourself thinking, nah, I know a shortcut. And sometimes, well, it works out. And other times, you end up more lost than when you started. And it leaves you wishing, man, I wish I had just followed the directions from the beginning. The heart of the matter is this. What is your soul's condition for being led? Deep down in your soul, are you a defiant goat or a willing sheep? And if you are willing to follow, what are you following? Are you following trends? Chasing what's popular? Are you following celebrities or, or athletes and living on every trade rumor or stat report? Are you following maybe social media, playing the comparison game and losing? Are you following culture? In fact, I read this quote this week. It said, now more than ever, people are sheep. Netflix is their shepherd. 
Oh, man, I hope not. But these are goat moments. We think we know best. We want what we want, and we go rogue, and we go our own way. And we end up wishing, man, I wish the shepherd would bring us back into the fold. I wish the shepherd would come rescue us. And he does, and he will over and over again. In fact, here's what's really great. Even before we know we need rescuing, our shepherd is already on the way. You see, sheep are all about routine. They become accustomed to well-worn, known pathways. However, occasionally they stray and that's the moment they become lost. Both Matthew and Luke record Jesus' parable about the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes and chase after the one that wandered away. In Matthew's account, he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he truly finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one than about the 99 that did not wander. This example was clearly understood by those listening because they understood the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. But in 2020, I don't know if many of us are in the sheep shepherding business. So maybe this example will help. Think about a a dad and he's got five kids at home and they're sleeping and it's late one night and the fire alarm goes off. There's a fire in the house. And so instinctively he starts going to the kid's bedroom and grabbing them under his arms and hoist them and bringing them outside to maybe somewhere on the front yard away from the house that's now on fire. And he goes back in again and brings more kids out and all of a sudden he pauses. One, two, three, four. I'm missing one. He leaves the four, runs back into the house that's ablaze to get the one. God's the same way. He counts his kids. He's carefully watching over us all. In fact, we sang about it earlier in the service, about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that chases us down and fights till we're found and leaves the 99. Lauren Daigle, a Christian artist, has a song out right now that also speaks to this promise of our shepherd. The song, Rescue, in the chorus, it says, I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS. I'll send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true. I will rescue you. I know we're done with our Truth About God series, but man, this is another incredible truth about God. He's an active good shepherd for those that are in the flock, those not yet in the flock, and those that have left and lost their way and needing to be brought back into the fold. And not only does he bring them back, but he restores them when he brings them back. See how David ties the verse together? He leads them and he restores them. He leads with care and love. In John 10, 27, Jesus said this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I love the possession here. My, we follow, we are the ones he's talking about. He says, my sheep, my voice. And more than that, he says, I know them. Remember, this is not a superficial knowing. This is a deep, intimate knowing exclusive to God. And this knowledge allows sheep to be willingly led. In 1 Peter, we see this. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but 
you have now turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. The relationship between sheep and their shepherd is unique. It is a tight bond. And in it, there is trust and there's dependence and a belief that yes, the shepherd knows best. And that's Jesus for you. He knows you. He knows what's best. And not only does he know what's best, but he knows the way. He knows the right way. He knows his way. David writes, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Again, notice the personal possession. He, then me. David speaking of a personal experience with his shepherd king, having led him through sheep and goat moments and ultimately on pathways of righteousness. The leadership of the shepherd did not only comfort, but it restored David. He guides his sheep into righteousness. David here, not describing a Sunday stroll or a casual walk at Boulevard Park. These are specific, individualized pathways designed by him for you by an active God. Proverbs 4.1 says this, I instruct you in the way of the wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Both here and in David's psalm, the, the plural is used, paths, multiple. This is not just a one and done Pack up your gear, folks. Lace up your boots. This is going to be a journey. And I'll tell you this. For the Mengel family, there have been times where it would have been easier to have been goats than sheep. But as sheep, we've trusted in our shepherd to guide and lead the way. And following that lead, well, God has led us to move nine times over three states in 15 years. And we do it all over again. Being willing to take those pathways, those journeys, gave the Mengels a story to share and allowed us to grow and work out our faith through a righteous obedience. Perhaps sometime in your life you said to yourself, I just wish God would lay it all out for me. Everything that's going to happen, the good, the bad, the hurdles, the victories, I would be 100% on board if I just could see it all. But I'd offer this. If you could see it all, you'd have no need for faith. You'd certainly have no need for a shepherd to lead and guide you. You know, the great explorers of our history, Magellan, Columbus, they were making discoveries, but they were doing those, that discovering in real time. God is not that way. He's actually more like a cross-country coach that I read about. Jay Johnson is widely respected as a running coach, having led several athletes to both championships and division titles. He said on a podcast this, I want to be a coach that's worth following. When I create a course, I know the course personally. I've run the course. I know the distance, the tight curves and the steep inclines. And most importantly, I don't just go tell my team, go run it. I run it with them leading them through it, encouraging them along the way. The truth is that God does have a detailed plan for each one of you joining us today, but he doesn't reveal it to us like on a highlighted roadmap. In fact, he may not reveal much or if anything ahead of schedule. So our responsibility, our call then is to obey God's commands through righteous living. And when we can fully believe that God as our shepherd is in it and for us and with us, then the sky is the limit as to where he'll lead us and where we'll go. 
Might we embrace Psalm 25, 4 that says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Might we have this eager, willing posture? Because as we journey and we work out our faith, God leads considering your best for his glory. Now make no mistake, his leading is for your benefit. It's for your good, but ultimately it's for his. Check out how verse 3 ends. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's all about him in the end. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. If a shepherd were to lead his, his flock off a cliff, or into a pack of wolves, what does that do for his name, his reputation? Well, the same is true for God. For God to lead you astray off the path he intended simply goes against his nature. It can only then be true that God would lead you down a path for your best interest that would at the same time glorify him because his name is on the line. I know of someone who applied this principle when his daughters were school age. Anytime his daughters would leave the house, before they left the door, he would yell out, Be a Holbert! As you might guess, their last name was Holbert. And the whole idea was that as they left into the world, how they'd act and what they'd say, his name was on the line. The same is true for God. The bottom line of God's desire for us, of course, is that we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ that we be more and more like him. So for his name's sake, we're called to make wise decisions. We're called to be smart. And more so, we are called to be an example, to encourage others, to shine as a city on a hill. Again, for what purpose? For his name's sake. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others. But the sentence doesn't end there. He went on to give the reason why it's so important to shine. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Our goal should never be to bring recognition to ourselves, but to bring glory to God for his namesake. His name is on the line. To put it very bluntly, when you look good, God looks good. So all paths of righteousness that God has or is or will lead you on will always lead to that end. Now, where you sit, if this suddenly feels very weighty, um, that's okay. Because there is a weighted responsibility with following Christ. But be careful not to confuse this with a burden or you'll stumble into the rabbit hole of what ifs. Well, Pastor Brian, what if I mess up? What if I make the wrong decision? What if I get outside the pen? What if I separate from the herd? What if I don't follow the path laid before me? What if I don't shine? What if I don't bring him glory? What if, what if, what if, what if? Just stop right there. Just stop. Because it's exactly what our shepherd doesn't want of us. In fact, it's impossible to read the 23rd Psalm fast-paced or frenzied. It's the opposite of what David is writing about. Be reminded of this, that he is the one who said, let me lighten your load. Let me show you the rhythms of grace. Let me lead you to a quiet place and that's where you'll find me and there I'll refresh and refill your tank. It's the shepherd who knows the green pastures and still waters that will best restore your soul. 
When we walk with Jesus at his pace, we find ourselves in sync with the condition of our souls. And it's then that we find that we want to be led. We want to reflect Christ. We will fully believe that the shepherd does know best. And the natural outflow of all that is we'll be readily ready to follow his direction for his name's sake. You avoid the rabbit hole, the burdens lifted, and your light shines. The 23rd Psalm is incredible because it showcases our caring, invested, intentional, incomparable shepherd. And his simple message is this. I'm right here. Let's take a walk together. How could we possibly resist that invitation? 